Hello again, and welcome everyone back to another edition of Drummer Nation Live, the show where we talk about all things related to drums and drumming with some of the best in the business. Today is no exception. I have a re-edit of an older broadcast. I'll explain why in a few minutes with none other than Peter Erskine. And we're going to have a, a demonstration of a sound library we won an award for together some years ago as well. So it should be a good show. Stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. Here we go. Hi, I'm Stan Kiawa, and welcome to the Professional Drum Shop. 1959, it opened up. Here we have Buddy Rich's the last set he ever played, last gig he played with Mel Torme at the Palladium. I set it up for him. One of the most iconic pictures is this one, a Joe Rillo Clinic around 1963. Mr. Hal Blaine, good friends of the store for decades. The stories that go on, I mean, if these walls could talk, holy mackerel, we'd all go to jail. Hey everybody, how you doing? This is Bobby A, and today I wanted to tell you about how much I really love the Hudson Music digital app. Okay, now, check it out. It's an app that you can get for your device, and you can purchase books from the Hudson Music Digital Store and have them stored right on your device. The great thing about it is you always have it with you, and any content that might be video-related or music-related is right there at your fingertips. It's a wonderful resource. All right, I want to welcome a new sponsor to the show, Professional Drum Shop in Hollywood, Stan and Jerry there, partners in crime in this industry for many, many decades and some great cats in a great store. Uh, and I trade off with these guys. I do spots for them and I post to their Facebook pages as well. And I don't think that one's set up yet, but it soon will be. Anyway, a little different show today warrants a little bit of an explanation. I don't talk about uh, politics here, but for the last year and a half, I've been uh, a volunteer working at the uh, top tier level of a neighbor friend of mine who's running for the Georgia State House. That's the House of Representatives at the state level. And she asked me to run her campaign. I'm kind of co-running it. I didn't think I was qualified for that, but I am her communications manager. And it's been a very time-consuming thing, especially now as we get close to the election. So I haven't had the time to do new shows the last few weeks, but I wanted to keep them going. And uh, uh, if you want to check her out, her name is Willie Mayo Yogwe. It's W-I-L-L-I-E-M-A-E dot, I'm sorry, G-A, Willie May G-A dot com. I'm not getting political here, but that's, that's why, that's what I've been doing with most of my free time. And that's why I'm uh, putting some other editions out that are rebroadcast, but I've edited them somewhat. So last week I did David Garibaldi again. It had been some years and the sound was a mess and I didn't know how to fix it then. I still don't know very well how to fix it, but I made it a lot better and edited it down and I put that out last week. And this week I'm doing the same with Mr. Erskine. Now, uh, Peter and I have a long history together. Uh, when I was in high school, 1973, <laughs> my high school band brought in the Stan Kenton band for a clinic and a concert. We did it at a local junior college and uh, I had been... 
a fan of the band, followed the band, and was a subscriber to their newsletter, Creative World, and had read all about this young phenom. 17, I think he's 7, 18, I think. I think he was 18 and I was 17, and he had just been on the band a little while. It's funny, they asked him in this interview back then, oh, what about retiring? <laughs> he was, you know, 18. He said, no, you don't retire from music. So here we are, many years later in our 60s, and uh, still friends. So, um... Again, I wanted to clean that interview up and present it. This was done at a Gen conference in New Orleans um, some years ago when I was first getting rolling. So the show is a lot better now, and I have a lot more reach, and I thought I'd like to give some of these guys a little more cred and a little more exposure that uh, I didn't offer them the first time around. So before that, though, uh, years ago when I was running Bosphorus, I wanted to do a digital representation of our symbols for the electronic market. And there was one guy who could do that. His name is uh, uh, John Emmerich, and he was working for a company named F Expansion. And they allowed us to do, um, um, they allowed us to do an expansion pack of VST instruments sampled and made for a drum engine called BFD. And it was the first time anybody had done that branded for a, and uh, John said, well, you can't do them all. It's too many, but you can do one series. So well, let's do Stanton Moore because he was going to be on the cover of Modern Drummer coming up at the time. And he did have a series of symbols out with us. And so we did that and, and, and it worked out very well. Now, at that time, you had to burn them to disc and ship them in a box and all that. A few years later, the technology had advanced to where it was all a download and there were only serial numbers. And... Peter Erskine, uh, my old friend, approached me. He always liked to be on the cutting edge of whatever's new. And we decided to do a package with him. It's a, a digital sampling of all of his drums and all of his cymbals. Now, I was working for a cymbal company, with a, but our real company name was Cymbal Masters. So we wanted to respect the fact that he was a Zildjian endorser. He was a DW endorser at the time. We didn't tread on that at all, didn't do anything to annoy the people at Zildjian. That was fully respected. These are recordings uh, meticulously done by John Emmerich, uh, who can tell you how, but he'd have to kill you. <laughs> anyway, it's proprietary stuff. And, and the way they did it, like with a symbol, you'd have the bell, the bell, the bow, and the edge. And each one you might do 40, 50 samples of at every different volume level. And you let them ring forever. And then through the magic of the software, they open and close dynamically to touch. And, um, to prove that when it was all done. And Peter insisted on doing every sample himself. I said, Peter, man, it's grunt work. You know, you're going to touch a piano, a snare drum, a pianissimo, and then again and again and again. He wanted to make sure they were his samples, his drums, his cymbals, his touch. And then at the end, we did some MIDI grooves. So to, to promote this thing, John put together a video of Peter uh, trading fours with himself. So the first time he said he, he played his natural drums that we had sampled, and then when the project was done, he went back and traded fours with the other side, which were the samples through his rolling drums. And I want you to close your eyes and tell me if you can tell the difference, because these, these things are just amazing. Anyway, John Emmerich has now gone on to, uh, he's like a head guru at Elisa's. And um, Peter and I are still, every, we're all still friends, but we won an award. We won a drummy, I'm looking at in my wall, 2012 Sound Library of the Year from Drum Magazine. So I'll forever be proud of that. And I've never 
explained that or presented it on Drummer Nation after six years, and I thought, well, this would be a good day to do that. So I'm going to start off with a demonstration of what that was or is, because it's still still available, pardon me, and uh, check it out here, see what you think. Let's jam. Count it off. And one, two, one, two, three.
created specifically for practice sessions. Quiet tone practice cymbals by Sabian are designed to respond and feel like traditional cymbals, right down to their clearly defined bell, so the drummers won't have to change the way they play. Quiet tone practice cymbals by Sabian. Hey everybody out there in cyber world, this is Adam Nussbaum. Hi, Dave DeCenzo here. Hi, Bermuda Schwartz here. Hey everyone, Stanton Moore here. Hey guys, Johnson Pesta here. Hey everybody, this is John J.R. Robinson. Hi, Todd Zuckerman here for the Drum Center of Portsmouth. They're knowledgeable, they'll be able to help you and guide you and make the right choices for you and the music that you play. From wingnut to Wuhan, these chaps know what they're talking about. Highly recommended. But what do I know? I'm a drummer. I just want to talk about, since we're at Jan, the Jazz Educator Network, and you're a jazz educator. Let's... Jazz is actually the Jazz Education Network. Okay, well, thank you. Uh, but you're a long-time jazz educator. It's been something that's been a lifelong commitment for you. I'm a, a poster child for jazz education. You're a product of it. Uh, definitely a product of it. I went to my first summer jazz camp. It was the Stan Kenton uh, National Stage Band Camp, uh, which was held on the campus of Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, in 1961, I just turned seven years old. My parents drove me uh, all the way from Atlantic City, New Jersey, to Bloomington. Um, this was uh, in the days when the interstate highway system was not quite interstate. It wasn't completed. Uh, so it was a, a, a somewhat arduous two-day drive. Uh, but that's just one uh, small example of the kind of support I got at home. I, I, I think... Uh, it, it, it's safe to say and important to say that uh, one of the most uh, significant components of a good education is the support that the musician gets at home. Um, that, that he or she uh, feels the, uh, uh, the trust and the enthusiasm and the interest you know, of the parents and by the parents. And I had that uh, in spades, and, and, and luckily also from you know, my brother and two sisters. So that, that nurturing kind of environment, coupled with the, uh, the amount of instruction and the loving instruction I got from you know, my jazz heroes. And you know, I had not listened to a whole lot of jazz by the time I was seven, so... Many of these heroes became my heroes as soon as I met them, and I heard them. I was like, "Wow!" You know, Louis Hayes, and uh, you know, Cannibal Adderley's band was in residence. Uh, and what's wild is I I met two of my former bosses, or th at that Later time, two of my future bosses, yeah. but former bosses. Now that I'm 62, being yeah. um, a little bit of time travel here. <laughs> uh, I met Stan Kenton and Joe Zavano at this 1961 camp. So, you know, fast forward a few years, uh, I'm 18 years old, uh, and I joined Stan Kenton's band. And that was how you and I met. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as I'd like to think it was my drumming talent that, that might have gotten me there, it was uh, as much or more the fact that, uh, you know, I was a product of jazz education. Um, not only... Uh, the summer camps, but 
music education in the schools. I had gone to school at Indiana University for one year before I joined Kenton, and before that, I was studying at the Interlochen Arts Academy, which was a um, primarily a, a music-centric high school. It was an art school. They had theater, dance, visual right. arts, etc. But um, music was was the real big thing. There was an outgrowth outgrowth of the National Music Camp, which was one of the first big summer music camps in this country. Um, you know, uh, you just look at the name, National Stage Band Camp. Tells you when it was. Where's jazz? I mean, jazz was, was still a dirty word in, in education. In education, yeah. Yeah. So thanks to the efforts of, of those pioneering people like Stan Kenton and the faculty that all came from North Texas, as well as from Berkeley, um, they were the, the 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 people who were doing most of the teaching. It was the Kenton Band, um, a lot of North Texas faculty, and a lot of Berkeley. So John Laporta, Ray Santisi, um, Herb Pomeroy, uh, of course Leon Breeden, Paul Guerrero from North Texas. Um, I'm leaving out hundreds of names. Matt Benton. Um, and then later, that. Alan Dawson, and I mean, one of these guys, Ron Carter was teaching. I saw Ron recently. I just did a record date with him. And Ron told me, he said, you know that one camp in, in Connecticut? I said, yeah, of course. He said, he said I was commuting. I said, really? you're kidding. He said, yeah, I was, I was making, the, making an album at the, at, the, at the Vanguard with Charles Lloyd, with Tony. <laughs> and he said, so I was working there every night, and then I'd get up early and drive up to Stores, Connecticut, and would teach all day. And then at the end of the day, I'd race back down into the city. I, said, I had no idea. You Pays it forward. That. Yeah, yeah. So there's an element of nature versus nurture there, right? I think in best, the best of circumstances, you need both. Yeah. And why not? Why, you know, it's, it's possible to make the best of circumstances. Mm -hmm. You know, it's possible for us as parents and as teachers to offer that to the young talented musicians, and there's so many of them. And, and you know, it's the jazz tradition. Before they were before it was done at schools. Yeah, but but still now, yeah. I think it's it's our, you know, I don't want to say it's in our DNA, but it's it's kind of in the, the there's some genetic coding uh, uh, that we get um, because we, we know that's how it's done. That's how we learn. Um, Bob Mincer uh, gave a terrific uh, talk this morning, and and, and uh, he was discussing Randy Brecker, and Randy learned how to play by listening to records, you know, and hearing the music played live. Then he looked at the books. So that's that's one of the things that we need to uh, kind of get back uh, into the education process. Is 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 uh, making sure the students hear compositionally in their head what it is they want to say, what they want to play. You get too much emphasis on technique. Mm -hmm. um, I was just speaking with a gentleman uh, who's the educational director at the Lincoln Center. And uh, he told me they're doing a brilliant thing. Winton is doing a brilliant thing. He has all these students that uh, are you know, auditioning, wanting to go to Juilliard. And he'll put the most simple, either like gospel or folk melody, 
Play that. Let me hear what you have in your heart. Instead of giant steps. Yeah. And 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 so being here at at Jen, just hearing those kinds of mm -hmm. you know pieces of information. It kind of stems really... from putting the music first and then the rules, mm -hmm. then the technique. You know, yep. Music first. It got to sound good. And you know, I tell my students at, at USC, I said we can we can cut this four years of study. Uh, down to about two minutes if you're interested. <laughs> and what are the condensed two minutes? <laughs> and they say, well, okay, what? I say, here's all there is to it. Just play what you want to hear. Now, if you have no idea what you want to hear, that's an issue. Then we have to start building up the young musicians, not only their library, let's say their, their catalog, but, but their desire. Mm -hmm. You know, because without that, it's there's just a real big gaping hole in, 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 in a player. You know, I don't, I don't have great technique. I could, I could fake it and play kind of fast, and I, I always had a fair amount of power. But I've, I've never felt that I, you know, I was always embarrassed. Like if I had to play a snare drum roll. Really? Yeah. It's just, it's sort of, yeah. Just parenthetically, the thing that flips out drummers, I know it scares the devil out of me, is when. I'm playing with orchestral players, and I have to play a buzz roll. Oh, you sure? Because yeah. their shit Penis sounds like roll. steam coming up. Yeah, mine will never be that. No, it's, it's <laughs> a lifetime to master. But there are there are players. So mm -hmm. you know, a lot of technical shortcomings I felt. But um, you know, if I look back at my career, I said, well, yeah, I've been pr I've been very lucky. Uh, but other musicians seem to like to work with me. So it. It would be instructive. I mean, why? Right. All right. So I'm a nice guy. I'm fairly easy to get along with for the most part. Yeah, but it's got to be more than that. More than that. Um, so uh, touch was a big part of it, mm -hmm. sound. And, and you only get that when you have a teacher, like I had, who told me at one point, he just said, man, you're just hitting the instrument too hard. Who was that? George Gaber was mm -hmm. the first. Uh, and and then it was uh, Freddie Gruber mm -hmm. who who finally connected all those dots for me. Um, real quickly, you know, I'm, I'm taking a, a lesson with with Freddie Gruber. It, it took three visits to his home to get to this point. Everything leading up to that was just him standing by his Mr. Coffee uh, coffee making machine and and drinking one cup of coffee after another and, and Gruber telling, stories are legendary. Yeah, and just telling telling me anecdotes about living in New York and the night that he and Roy Haynes did this or did that. Um, and I finally said, Freddie, you gotta show me something. So he said, Okay, okay. So he started tap dancing. And after you know, ten seconds of that he looks up very pleased and he's still dancing. He says, Do you see? Do you see? Do you get it? And I went, no. Help me. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay. He said, look, man. He said, I'm not trying to dance beneath the surface of the floor. I'm dancing on top of it. Now my light bulb is, is dimly starting to light up a bit. But I said, show me on the drums. Now, Freddie was famous for... For never playing. Yeah. He said, okay, baby. So... He dances all the way to the second bedroom where the drums are. 
And I gotta tell you, Mike, it was a thing of beauty. Really? Yeah. I've never was, seen him play. It was all lift and this beautiful tone. I mean, it was really great. It was like the touch of a master. And for all the stuff, when you see Freddie do this whole thing, and you're wondering, mm -hmm. like, what in the world is this guy talking mm -hmm. about? But when I heard him play, it, you know, like the, the light bulb just went to, you know, thousand watts. And I went, That's a great story. I, I get it. I had a friend come to me recently and he had an album and he said, we can't decide were these drums recorded too loud or was it mixed too loud? I said, no, it was played too loud. <laughs> well, and you can hear it. You Absolutely. hear how hard something is hit. Um, and I shouldn't shortchange George Gaber in this discussion because, um, uh, you know, a lot of my lessons would, uh, would be cut short. And all of a sudden he'd go, all right, there's a triangle, here's a triangle beater, mezzo piano, you got one chance. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go over it, you go, that was too loud, get out. <laughs> and, um, you know, I I began to to practice whole tones on the cymbal and on the drum, and just really trying to get control of, of dynamics and get a sound that I liked. Because I started to hear, uh, I mean, I heard it way back in the Kenton days. You know, when I, I I listened to the recording. That's not what I'm intending. This yeah. sounds ugly. It's I remember I was at your, your your studio once, and you were playing drums and cymbals, and, and you hit a floor tom that I took home with me, you know, just the sound, the purity of it was just, ah, oh, of all the great stuff you played, that's what hit just me, like the, yeah, was it's just it's, the tone, the tone. It's about sound, you know, I mean, we're in the sound business. It, People it, forget it, that it, with it, all the drumnastics you can do. You, you go to the symphony, and when you see a great timpanist, mm -hmm. and the sound. Or, you know, I mean, for me, the, the most difficult thing to play are the Piatti crash cymbals. And when I hear a great crash cymbal, and it's never loud. It's, it's full. Just, it's full. It's just mm -hmm. it's like... Very difficult hear. to do. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about some of your... You've had books out for long periods of time, but now they're morphing into a CD and a book and a, an app. And it's music minus one, but way past that. Yeah, we're even getting past that now. Tell me how that works. The, the, the word now is that uh, people aren't filling up their, their smartphones with apps anymore. Yeah, but that was news. That's news to me. I thought it was pretty current. Yeah. Apps, are, apps are out. They're on the way out. Yeah. It's all kind of streamed, network, cloud-based, and, and something else is going on. I'm not exactly sure what, but I think, I think the cloud is... It's not just a buzz. It's sort of a, you know what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm still an app guy. Yeah. Not only making them, but I like using them. Doesn't that sound funny? I'm still an app guy. I'm still an like app it just guy. happened a few years ago. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> but school. my you know my developer Lucas <laughs> Ives. Lucas says, you know, people aren't aren't buying apps like they used to. And so I don't know how it how it's all going to shake out. Um, well, but the idea was you had the recording, you had the chart, you could play the recording without the given instrument. Over there, yeah. yeah, it's great. And, and 
the beauty of it, uh, what I like about, uh, about apps is that you can constantly tweak or fix them if they need fixing, mm -hmm. and you can stay in touch with your right. customers. Right. Uh, well, and it's also available if you don't have good uh, internet mm -hmm. service down in your basement practice room. Right. But I think it, it's it's changing. What I'm seeing even uh, uh, just at the conference here is that there seem to be more and more cloud-based uh, products. Interesting. For, for educational purposes. So uh, schools and students can subscribe and, you know, because everything has some sort of mm -hmm. uh, money-making uh, model or design to it. So, you know, we yeah, we, we made it made it available. These are pretty clever, these things. Um, USB data card. So it's like a credit card, but you swing this out, it's a USB connection, uh, and then you have all the play-alongs that you can drag over. You have everything. But it's funny, when, uh, you just don't have the mixer, it's just they're, they're pre-formatted mixes, like minus drums, or right. minus, but, um, where the app has an okay. active mixer. But this is a, a great way to make it available for people all over the place. People would get this and not... You know, we didn't include instructions, and it wasn't self-evident. People were saying, well, now what do I do? That's a very um, good idea. <laughs> uh, so it's, you know, it's clever. So that's a book, it's a play-along, it's a CD. Or is it a, an album? Yeah, we've, we've put albums on this too, but it's not popular with people. As convenient as it is. Yeah, as well, I know it gets better than that. Um, you know, right in your pocket. So... So it's your challenge to keep up with what the kids are doing every year, whether it's an app or a download or a or credit card or technology it keeps yeah. changing. I mean, yeah. one of the things I'm uh, looking to forward to checking out is as soon as we're done here, there's a, there's a seminar about music distribution. I'm hoping that I'm going to learn something. I'm imagining that you know it, it's going to be well, kind of been there, done that because a lot of these presentations seem to be. A little more simplistic than, than I'm hoping. But even to know sometimes, you go, ah, yeah, I never thought of that. Mm -hmm. So I've got my notepad. Well, that's changing dramatically. So you teach at the USC Thornton School of Music? Is Thornton, that what it's called? Thornton, T-H-O-R-N-T-O-N. Oh, Thornton. So named for Flora Thornton, um, who uh, gave big endowments to the school quite mm -hmm. a few years ago. Uh, so I've been at USC since 2000 and been teaching full-time for about eight years now. Um, that affords you the best I, of both worlds, right? You can you have a sit-down gig in your hometown, which is L.A., and you can work locally and fly all over the world. I can, yeah, I'm, I'm keeping very busy. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing more film sessions than ever. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm the old guy now. I get called for like a lot of the old like kind of stuff. Um, you were the, the fusion you know, upstart. What happened? I, was, I don't know what happened. <laughs> it, the, the thing is, um, if you if you look around at this conference, you'll see a lot of great players who are great teachers, and you know, teaching as I as I mentioned earlier is is part of our being as jazz musicians. It's just the way it is. It's a, it's a mentorship, apprentice kind of mm -hmm. uh, 
thing. Uh, yet, many of the musicians here would not be here if there were enough gigs. You know, I think a lot of the musicians here are just like, well, okay, I, you know, I got a, I got a chance to teach at a university, because you know you don't have the bands, uh, the the number of touring bands, the number of uh, jazz venues that would support a band touring 50 weeks a year like it used to be. Yeah, and one of the things you were in the cutting edge of when you were young was the first of the jazz-educated kids that started to populate all the, the big bands, mm -hmm. and they're gone now. Yeah. So the 800-pound, I don't know what you're getting at, but let me ask this question. The 800-pound gorilla in the room to jazz educators is, where are these kids all going to work? Yeah. Um, and that was a question that... Uh, we began wrestling with uh, when we had the uh, National Association of Jazz Educators, mm -hmm. which became the International Association, you know, IAJE. Mm -hmm. um, Jen rose from the ashes of, of IAJE. Um, Jen is... Uh, it, it was interesting. It was described to me as, uh, you know, Jen started off like a second marriage. And for a lot of people, second marriage is... Uh, uh, are difficult ones, and and the uh, object of affection is doing its best to not resemble the, the prior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, at a certain point, like, well, now what do we do? And now what are we? Um, so Jen is is I think broadening its its mission, and uh, I think there are a number of factors that come into play. Um, number one. And it sounds strange because going to school is quite expensive. So you expect that I'm going to go to school to learn a craft. And, and get a job. Yeah, get a job. Um, a lot of students uh, have a, a slightly more pure uh, educational uh, motive or motivation is that they, they want to learn. And it's not necessarily driven like, I want to learn and then get out of school and get a job. That's a refreshing perspective. Yeah, and I'm seeing it. And, and they want to learn about music. So we're educating not only players, but we're educating the audience. And we're educating people who love to play and make music because they love to play and make music. So we don't need to be kicking ourselves as hard as we were, like we're training people for jobs that don't exist. Um, you know, I mean, the job market is on one hand, you know, there's a lot of opportunity out there, but it's, the whole world is changing. I mean, the job markets are, you know, robots are taking over. Yes, yeah, not just the musicians yeah, facing these changes. Yeah, that's a good point too. portions of, of, of our economy, you know, mm -hmm. companies. That, so, um, so maybe that focuses everybody back on the music, you know, maybe that's, well, the that's a better thing. Number one, um, the arts make you a better person. And it's, we're not patting ourselves on the back here. It's just true. You learn um, to develop more empathy. You learn to listen. You learn to become more of a team player. Uh, you learn to accept failure. You learn to embrace your mistakes. You know, um, you make them all the time. And it's not the end of the world. And, and you learn that it doesn't have to really mess up your self-work. Okay. And, and so music can enrich your life 
in ways more than just, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm the number one most recorded drummer. And, and whoever's watching this who's ever laid that label on themselves, uh, sorry. <laughs> I feel a little bit sorry for you because, number one, nobody cares. Number two, um, maybe I'm the 36th most recorded drummer. I don't know, and, and I'll give a shit. Because, I hear that, who cares? And if anyone's the most recorded drummer, it's probably Hal Blaine. So, everyone else can shut up. <laughs> <laughs> no, well or, stated. Or it could be Bernard. I don't yeah, know. Well, who cares? It might have been Gary Chester. But they're yeah. all wonderful artists. They're all great. With and, lots and to say. And JR is great, and Kenny Aaron is great, but it always puzzles me when they're like, you know, mm -hmm. the world's most recorded. You don't need to. It's not a I'm sport. the world's most what? I'm the world's most nothing, okay? I'm the world's most me. Uh, yeah, there you go. Um, well, I <laughs> take much. that to heart. I teach children, you know, uh, and I learned years ago if you're teaching children, you have to, I look at it like I'm teaching Little League or something, coaching Little League. How many of these kids are going to play pro ball? None of them. <laughs> How many of them are going to have their lives enriched if you do it correctly? All of them. Exactly. Beautiful point. There you go. <laughs> now, I did a clinic. And it was uh, in western Kansas, Cimarron, or somewhere around there, some community college. And it was a fairly good-sized jazz festival. And they, they brought in a few guest artists, and they had uh, these recent grads from a couple of music conservatories back east. And they were working a little bit in New York, I guess. Um, and he's coaching, coaching a band. And uh, at least two of the musicians in the brass section had the Oshkosh overalls. I mean, you know, the, 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 their father, I guess, had, had let them off the farm. It was a Saturday and let them come to this thing. And so they're in the band. They're in the, just like the Little League team. And, you know, they played as, as, as well as they could play. And maybe um, you could get them to concentrate a little bit more because... Like a little league game, if 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 the, if the shortstop's going to throw the ball to first base and the and the kid playing first base is not paying attention, then the game's no fun for anybody. Focus, intensity, teamwork, yeah. all these things. You but not, you know, you'll never make it as a studio musician in New York. And I started <laughs> laughing when the guys said it. I went to some fairly serious music schools. Mm -hmm. You know, Indiana University was a serious music school. It still is. It's an amazing music school. Interlochen was a serious... And we weren't coddled. It wasn't, that's very good. Keep trying. It'll get better. I mean, it right. was... They demanded that you did your best. But because it, it was a school that attracted a high level of players. But it was never... You'll, you know, you're not... You're not okay. It was... Come on. Well, you certainly worked with some demanding band leaders. Band leaders? Well, yeah. I mean, Joe Zavonel was... Uh, but, you know, as I mentioned, um, uh, in the, the sense that the, I school prepared that, you for that, I'm huh? sorry to interrupt you, but in the sense that school being demanding prepared you for that professional environment. Yeah, and, and just having played enough, you know, you, you play on enough stages, mm -hmm. um, uh, you become a little bit more fearless in terms of, uh, and, and, you know, drummers, we have a little bit of moxie in reserve anyway, because that's just, it's just like, you know, if if you're a catcher on the baseball team, I mean, you, to be a catcher or a pitcher requires a, a, a 
kind of a specific attitude, right? Absolutely. I used to know uh, um, Tim McCarver, the, the great announcer who was a yeah. catcher, and I asked him, who was the best pitcher you ever caught? Without, without a hesitation, Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson. Yeah. He said, because he didn't care, man. You looked at him the wrong way. He was throwing at your head. You know, he was just commanding that plate, and that was his, and you knew that. Yeah, yeah. I used to love that, to watch him pitch. That moxie. That, that showing our age, but yeah. McCarver, and, and, and you know, it's funny, my cousin and I used to, we would, we would take turns reversing roles. I would get to be Bob Gibson, he would be McCarver. Really? And, yeah. And, and <laughs> Struck because, a familiar tone there. Yeah, because we just, we loved watching them on TV. Well, I had a kid he was always coming in at because he was the voice of the Mets and they were coming through town and got to know him. It was great. Uh, I'm a baseball fan. I know you're a baseball fan. I liked fan. his announcing. A lot of people didn't like his announcing, but I always liked his announcing. It was, it I said, they say, in, they say in Atlanta, where I'm from, that you were for the other team. He said, yeah, they say the same thing in the other the other team. <laughs> so that's probably a good sign you're doing it right. Yeah, I think so. Memphis Drum Shop is the world's premier provider of percussion instruments. With six showrooms of gear, MySymbol.com, the Memphis Gong Chamber, and a first-rate repair department, turn to Memphis Drum Shop for all your percussion needs. I also did another long interview with Peter for Classic Drummer Magazine. It was a cover story that you might want to check out on their website. So my shameless self-promotion, anybody interested in drum lessons, I do that. Uh, you can find us on Facebook right there, YouTube right there. Uh, if anybody wants to help me out on Patreon, you know how that works. Some people do help me that way, and I really appreciate it. I don't charge anybody for any of this. It's a labor of love, but there are expenses involved, and I sure would appreciate it if you could help me out that way. And then um, you could just leave a tip or something in Venmo. You guys know how that works. I'm going to bow out gracefully, and we'll see you next time on Drummer Nation Live after the election. Thanks. Bye. Bye.